Hey, good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Aldersland, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? It's 291-6901. And the area code is 225. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States with that area code this morning. There you go. Why don't you go and give us a call? It's 291-6901. 01. With a 225 in front of there, that'll get you right straight to us, put you right straight up the top of the list. We've got all our lines wide open. It's a perfect time to call in. That's it. And, you know, should we, should you happen to miss your opportunity today or right. maybe think of something during the week, you can always get your questions answered by going to our website, which is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There's a contact bar on each and every page. Just click the button, fill out the little form, and send it on in. There you go. And that's that's about the easiest way to do it besides today. <laughs> That's absolutely right. And you know, we get a lot of different email and a lot of different types of email. Uh-huh. And a lot of them are, well, my car is doing blah, 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 blah. Others are, well, I'm considering buying a certain type of car. What do you think? What's the track history of this car? And then occasionally we get one like the one I've got in front of me. And this is from Ron in Austin, Texas. And what Ron did, he says he listens to the show quite a bit. And he had some questions about the automotive business. Okay which I thought was really good, and particularly he was saying he was wondering how much the average garages mark up parts. Okay. There's how much over and above what they pay for them, they mark up parts. Also, with OEM parts being available online a lot of times, is it prudent to buy your own part and bring it to a garage? And that has its pros and cons. Right, and I thought we would talk about that some today and a whole lot of other stuff. But uh, whatever, uh, whatever <laughs> we can get a phone call on today, we'll there talk about that too. That's absolutely right. To get to Ron's question, you know, it's one of those things, like most things, it's not as simple as just a yes-no kind of an answer. Right. And when you start talking about part markup, what a lot of shops do – and I did a little informal survey among a bunch of shop owners on a forum that I use. And they utilize part profit to subsidize their labor rate or their okay. service rate. Okay. Now, what that means is they may advertise an artificially low service rate. Say the 995 all change. Whatever. And then they make it up by marking up the parts. Now, the problem with that is that people aren't ignorant. People can pretty easily see, hey, wait a minute, this is a part that I can get online for $9, and you're selling it for $40. Well, yeah, especially with today's Internet. Yeah, it's pretty easy to verify that. So that old model, which is basically the predominant model in the automotive business, where you have an artificially low service rate, maybe they advertise $60 an hour, as opposed to another shop that might be $100 an hour or so. And everybody, oh, well, they're way cheaper. No, they're not. What they're doing is they're advertising a low service rate. They're charging more hours than they spend to do the job. And then they're doubling the price of the parts that you're buying. And in many cases, they're using an inferior part and doubling the price of it. So what you have to do, it just makes shopping that much more difficult. Because you can never only compare the bottom lines. But you have to at least look at the bottom line. Because... I've seen invoices from other shops that reputedly were discount shops. Uh And to do the same exact job that we're going to do, they might be 30% higher than we are. And they're adding all kinds of little fees and charges. And I had a guy come in not too long ago, and the catalytic converter was bad on his automobile. And he had been to a place, and they had told him the converter was bad, but he just didn't trust their diagnosis. He wanted a second opinion. And he brought the invoice to me, and 
as I guess it worked out, it was the catalytic converter was bad, but I looked at the invoice and their labor rate was about 50% lower than ours was. Okay. However, they were charging almost double the amount of time to put it to, to put, put it on. on. In other words, it that was about a one hour job. Well, they, they were, were charging, charging two hours at half the rate. So, I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out. They still made, yeah. Yeah, you're the same thing. But the part, they had the part number listed, so I know exactly what part they were sourcing on right. it. And they're selling the part about 40% more than we are. Okay. So, if you look at the bottom line, their ticket was way higher than ours was. Plus, they added in a shop service fee and a this fee. Yeah, and I've, a I've looked at those tickets. Paperwork fee and right. hazardous waste fee and yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, the end result is the job was 40% higher or 30% higher than you get done at a legitimate shop who's just telling you the truth and billing you exactly. straight out. So when you start talking about parts costs, number one, you have to know what kind of part you're getting because the word part is not one thing. You know, I can go and buy a water pump. Now, I can buy a rebuilt water pump. I can buy a new water pump. I can buy a new aftermarket water pump that comes from offshore somewhere, or I could buy a higher quality aftermarket water pump. I can buy the original equipment pump, which is probably the best of the whole bunch. Every one of those is going to have a different price. Right, and what you're comparing is apples to oranges. Right. Through the whole thing, it's listed as one part, like you said, a water pump. Right. But they're not all the same quality. Yeah, not the same thing at all. Now, nobody certainly wants to pay more for the same thing. Exactly. Than they, most people don't mind paying more if they're getting more. But what makes it even more confusing is that a lot of the name brand parts companies have multiple lines. Right. You know, companies like AC Delco, which is a pretty good name brand because they were affiliated with General Motors for years and years and years, but AC Delco has a OEM line, which is the original equipment manufacturer's part, or at least an OES line, which is original equipment service. service. Right. part, which is equivalent to the OEM part in most cases. And then they've got a professional line, which is just nothing more than an aftermarket part in an AC Delco box with a different part number. Right. Now, why do they do that? Because they realize people are going to shop price. And if a person doesn't know the difference, he says, okay, they can buy a cheap part anyway, so why don't they buy it from us? So they go to China and have reproduction parts made, put them in a Delco box. Yeah. And we get that quite often where we have priced a part to someone and they say, oh, well, I can buy that part online for da-da-da-da-da. No, you can't. You're, 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 getting, part. you're getting an aftermarket AC Delco right. part. You're not getting the same component. And then you show them the part numbers and all that. Oh, okay, well, now they understand. And to get back kind of to the root of what we're talking about, on manufacturers' parts, OEM parts, which across the board are generally going to be the better parts you can get, when a dealership – like a franchise dealership, which is the only place to get the OEM parts for the most part. Right. When they get a part from the manufacturer, they probably mark it up about 50%. Okay. Now, some people say, wow, that's a lot. But you got to remember, they've got to pay freight on that part. They've got to warehouse that part. They've got inventory costs on this part. They've got to pay taxes on this part. Not only that, but they've got to pay, pay a somebody. salesman right. to take the order and fetch the part and send it out. Many times they deliver, they got a delivery service. So that's not a whole, whole lot of money when you start taking all the things out of it that have to come out of it. Mm -hmm. You know, just the cost of inventory 
a fairly small inventory in a dealership might be a half million dollars. Sure, easy. Well, that's a half million dollars sitting on the shelf that's not making you any money until you sell it. And you get a big dealership in town, they've probably got three, th- three times that. Yeah, you may have several million dollars worth right. of inventory. And that all has to make a return for these folks. So that's where that particular thing comes from. But 50% is probably manufacturer's cost or, or manufacturer's selling price to the dealer to what the dealer sells it at list price to the customer who walks in off the street. Mm-hmm. Now, when the average shop buys a part, generally it's a lot easier than servicing an individual off the street because, sure. number one, we usually call with a VIN number. We call with part numbers many times. We know exactly what we're looking for. You're a repeat customer. We buy a lot, a lot of parts. Right. So they will generally discount that part to a professional shop. Now, that discount could run anywhere. The higher end stuff is normally around 25% off to a lower end of maybe 10 to 15% off list price. Right. Now, your Toyotas and Hondas generally have less markup in them. Most Toyota and Honda dealers give about 20% off of list to a professional shop, whereas a company like GM or Ford or Chrysler generally it's around 25%. Now, that varies with the product also. Sure. Some of their manufactured parts, remanufactured parts, like the transmissions and the engines, it'll be considerably less than that, maybe closer to 10 to 15% uh, between what they call wholesale and retail. Okay. And that's list price and the price that the shop pays for it. But the point with all that is a shop is probably operating, if he's using OEM parts, on a 20, 25 or less profit sure. margin. So if you see a part out there that's 75, 80% less. The flags need to go off yeah, quick. Yeah, something is not right. not right. I remember I had a young man who came in one time, and we priced a catalytic converter uh, on a Toyota uh-huh. for him. And this converter from Toyota was around $1,200 list. And he says, well, I can get, I got a friend of mine at work, Toyota Place, he can get that one for me for $125. absolutely no (laughs) unless he's gonna steal it yeah i there's no possible way because on that twelve hundred dollar converter the toyota dealer probably pays somewhere around six hundred dollars for it that's their cost at the dealership there's just not that much markup in it so you know anytime you see that you got to be really really cautious because there's there's just not going to be that kind of markup in a legitimate place of business now some shops do buy aftermarket parts Uh because they are generally cheaper. cheaper And right. they want to try to give the illusion that they have a lower price. But, again, you got to remember the difference in price and cost. You know, price is the money you put out initially. Cost is the amount it costs plus the other stuff that it tears up plus the amount that it costs to come back and replace it divided by how long it lasts. Mm-hmm. And I always make the example with tires. You can buy a set of tires for $1,000 or you can buy a set of tires for $800. But if the ones for $800 have to be rebalanced every six months because they keep getting out around, you got to add that back in. They start they, bouncing going down the road. They tear up a set of struts, and they tear up a set of ball joints, they tear up a rack and pinion, you got to add that back in. And if they last 30,000 miles, you got to add that back in. Now, sure. if you get a good premium set of tires, they last 60,000 miles, they cause no problems at all, which one really costs less? Exactly. You know, you spent a little more up front, but the overall cost to you was far, far less. And that is the only reason in this world to buy the highest quality part you can, because it is going to cost less over time. In the long run. Yeah, you're trying to save money. That's the goal. Everybody wants to save money. You just have to know how to go about doing it. Right. Right. You'll end up 
spending more money than you might have otherwise. Otherwise, Right. Let's see if we can catch a call real quick. We got Mac online. Good morning, Mac. Good morning. How's it going, guys? Doing great, sir. Doing great. Uh, I appreciate what you guys are doing. I love your show. Well, thank you. I am working on restoring a 1957 Chevy Bel Air. Okay. It's pretty car. In pretty, yeah, it's in pretty rough shape right now. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do the engine work and probably if it needs any transmission work, I'll probably do that myself. Mm-hmm. But I'm trying to figure out, number one, how can I find a good body shop? I'm over on the East Coast and I don't know anything about body shops. You know, what do I need to look for in a body shop to, to let them work on this car? Yeah, that's one of those things, Mac, pretty much like any business you might want to look at. In fact, if you go on my website, there are several articles. Type in the keyword quality or something like that. One is how to assess quality before a service is rendered. And what I've found is that it's a number of key factors you can look at. Number one, of course, is the number of years they've been in business. Whereas a shop that's been in business for 30 years or 40 years just is going to have a little more credibility that one has been in business for two years. Now, it doesn't mean the guy two years isn't the best guy in the world and the guy 40 years isn't a bum, but that's one factor. Number two is what, who else says so? What kind of testimonials does he have or does he have any of that? Who else says he's good? And that could be as simple as asking around. It could be you could ask for referrals. You could look and see if he has letters, testimonial letters, those sorts of things. On the Internet, you can look at ratings, those sorts of things. If a lot of positive ratings, then chances are he's probably a pretty good guy. You could actually call a transmission shop or an automotive repair shop and ask them, if you had to have body work done on your car, who would you bring it to? Right, somebody who does not do the type of work you want because in the industry, a lot of people know a lot of other people. Sure. So you might, if you have a good general auto mechanic you use, you might ask them, who would you use? And, of course, finally is a conversation with, the people in charge there and find out what methods do they use. For instance, if I tell you, okay, when you're interested in having a brake service done with me, and I'm going to say, well, the first thing I'm going to do is pull all the wheels off and examine every component. The next thing I'm going to do is flush the system out to make sure I get all the contaminated fluids out before I start hanging new parts on there. The next thing I'm going to do is get OEM replacement pads. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to check the surface finish on the rotors with a surf test machine. I'm going to check for loud run out with a dial indicator. Obviously, I'm using better methods than a guy said, we'll go throw a set of pads on there. You know what I'm saying? You And you can get a feel for that by going to their website if they have one. Read not only what's written, but the way it's written. Does it sound like it's written from a quality perspective? Does it sound like they're just a place that has price, 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 price? That's probably not where you want to go. But those factors, and like I said, if you go to the website, just type in the word quality, and you could get a lot more different things to look for on there. But if you put all that together, I think you can come up with I, the right guy. And i tell you something else to do, too. Maybe find you a Chevy club or a Ford club or some kind of automobile club there yeah. in your area and ask those guys. They've been there. They know what's going on, right. and they probably have a pretty good referral Well, that comes for back you. to yeah, referrals yeah. or testimonials. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, great. That, that sounds great. Thanks a lot. And I got one other question on this. Okay, I think uh, could you hold on a, through the break, Mac? Sure, sure. Okay, ho- hold on. I got to take a break right now, but you'll be straight up after this. Thank you. Man, 
I had a bad dream the other night. Oh, me too. I was abducted by aliens, but they weren't little green men. They looked more like a cross between a chicken and a gremlin. Like the 80s movie? Yeah, so they take me up to this spaceship and onto this theater stage, and in the audience sits all the cats of my ex-girlfriends, and they're just sitting there judging me. Even Mr. Piddles, who I actually kind of liked. Oh, uh, what was your dream? I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at ATCO and my car broke down. Now that's scary. Hey, at ATCO Automotive, we know it's hard to keep up with maintenance. What do I do at 15,000 miles? What do I do at 75? We recommend an annual general inspection. Just pick a month and bring in the vehicle. We'll give it the once-over and can recommend any maintenance you may need before something causes bigger problems down the road. So did they take you to their leader? No, they made me watch a cat video reenactment of Steel Magnolias. It was horrible. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. And just before the break, we were talking to Mac, and Mac's restoring a 57 Chevrolet. Mac, what was the second question, please? Second question is, this has got the three on the tree, mm-hmm. right. and I would like to have this for my daily driver, but I do about you know, 10, 15, 20 miles, depending on where I'm going for mm-hmm. uh, work, and that's interstate driving. And I'm, I'd like to get this up to 60 miles an hour regularly without being a gas hog. Right. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking about doing something like a dual-speed rear end. Is that something I could do on that car? You can. Uh, you'd have to find an aftermarket part, but yeah. I'll tell you, beyond probably a lot less problematic than that might be to go to like a four-speed or something Even like five that, speed. five-speed with an overdrive, which accomplishes the same thing with a lot less mechanics going into it. You know, that's probably something that may be a little bit simpler because the transmission that's on there, that old three-speed is probably way wore out, and I'm not certain about the aftermarket stuff, but do they make a direct bolt-in five-speed for that? There are companies out there that will put a five-speed in any body that you can come up with. Yeah, you might just check on that, Mac, and see if that wouldn't be more cost-effective for you. You'd have to go to a floor shift, though. You'd have to get it off the column. Yeah. And uh, that's my problem. Right. That I don't. I want to keep it on the column. You want to keep a column right. shift? Yeah. Well, now they got what they call gear vendors, but I'm, I don't know if they work on standards. I know I've seen them behind automatics. Yeah, it's a, another set of planetary gears you bolt to the back of the trans. Yes, yeah, like and a little drive unit. Right, you bolt your drive shaft to that. I don't know if it's available for a standard or not. Yeah, I mean, you could do, look at the multiple speed rear ends. You could look at that and just see which one will be more cost effective. I think almost any of them will accomplish what you want to do. What engine do you have in it, Mac? That's an inline six. Uh-huh, the old 235 original engine? Yes. Yeah, that engine wasn't terribly efficient it was just it was a real heavy engine mm-hmm. and it just didn't get that great a gas mileage you want to keep it all original as, as much as you can yes because i was gonna say going to a v8 on that a small v8 is a pretty easy swap over yeah. and the car did originally come with a v8 so you wouldn't be really changing it that much and i think you could probably get a lot more efficiency out of a small eight than you will out of that six cylinder but i mean if you just want to keep it a six cylinder there are probably things you could do with that I know I had a 55 Chevy that was my daily driver with a small 8 in it, and I had four-speed mine. And as long as I stayed out of it, I mean, I could get 18, 20 miles a gallon, yeah. you know, run around town and probably 20, 25 on the road, which is 
pretty respectable. Of course. And, and this is a fairly powerful car. Of course, that was only once. You know, I, I know you didn't stay out of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. I just so, had to see uh, what it would do one yeah, time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> to answer your question, that could be done. I mean, sure. nowadays, there are so many aftermarket vendors out there who are making components just because there are tons of guys like yourself who want an older car. There's a lot of money to be made making that stuff. So, you can pretty much buy almost anything you want nowadays. It's, it's not like when I was building these cars, you had to pretty much go and, and find some kind of original equipment part and adapt it to make it work. Uh, you can buy almost anything yeah. you could ever imagine. Well, thanks a lot, guys. I appreciate it, and I really love the show. Keep up the good work. Okay, Matt. Thank you. Good luck to you, man. How's it going? Bye-bye. Thanks. All right, 291-6901 is the number if you want to be part of the automotive hour. And we've got Amy online. Good morning, Amy. Hi, how are y'all doing? Doing great, doing man. Great. Okay, the situation that I have is my sister has a truck that her husband, who is now just out of the picture for mm-hmm. a bunch of crazy reasons, <laughs> had had a new motor that he thought was a new motor, and I'm not sure why, that was being put in it at, at a mechanic shop in Baton Rouge. Okay. Okay, so he's out of the picture all of a sudden. The truck had the motor put in it right before it flooded in August. So from August to now, and since the motor's been in it, it's rusted. A lot of the parts are rusted. She can only drive it in, like, second and third gear because the transmission's messed up, and the same shop put a transmission in it about a year ago. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of burning oil and things like that. And whenever we went and talked to them a couple of days ago, I, I went with her, and I asked the guy, I, you know, I said, well, the motor that y'all put in it, I said, y'all rebuilt it. It shouldn't have done this. And he just kind of looked at me with a blank stare. I said, you did rebuild it, right? And he said, no. All they did was go across the river into LKQ or somewhere like that, get a motor and put it back in Uh out of a a right truck. Uh So my question is, is there anything you can do short of just starting all over again? Well, quite possibly. Amy, what I would probably want to do is try to recreate what originally what you bargained for, what you paid for, and you have to try to go back and see if there's any paperwork or oh, anything I have like a, that. Yes, yeah, so we have all the paperwork. It was $2,684 for that, the motor, and them installing it. Yeah, that's probably going to be a used motor yeah. then because I a remanufactured motor would probably be oh, right. yeah, considerably yeah. more. So, I mean, I think that even if it's a used motor, there would be some kind of warranty on it. There was a six-month warranty on it, but when we brought it to him, he said there's nothing wrong with the motor, and that's uh-huh. the, it, that obviously not true he did put it on the lift and he said that the oil pan is leaking well but when you take the dipstick out you you got to force it it's the wrong dipstick for it you have to force the dipstick back uh-huh. in so i guess well i mean I'll, an oil pan leak is not a big big repair right yes sir. i mean i would if you feel like this guy is a decent enough person i would probably no. just go back and talk to him and try to get him your best bet is going to be if you can get him to do something with it only because he's familiar with it, he knows where he's at and all that. To get somebody else to come in at this point, they're going to have to go back and retrace everything that's been done because they just don't know. And it's going to be that's more expensive cost. to yeah. go somewhere else. Absolutely. Now, well, if can you, I ask you? I'm sorry. I apologize. I mean, if you just say, hey, I'm done with this guy. I don't want to. Well, yeah, then just have to select somebody else and take it to him. But it's going to be, I think, more expensive to do that. I mean, if, you, if, if you can deal with the guy. Yes, sir. I don't think that's. I don't think she's going to want to do that, and probably have to start over. But is there something you can do? So this was the third motor that he had to put in there before he got one that ran, and he had it for like probably three months at his shop. 
but it, it, there is things that can happen when taking a motor out and installing it, like with it, if you hook it up longer, something oh, like absolutely. that, that makes the transmission not act right. Oh, and yeah, absolutely. I mean, what I would want to do is get a diagnosis, and there's make a list of what problems you have. And there's, okay, yes, sir. Okay, it won't shift except in second and third or whatever. Yes, sir. Make a list of those things and then find someone who can diagnose the problems and tell you what is wrong. Why is it doing this? Because yes, the fact that it won't shift does not mean the transmission's bad. It right. could the, be the transmission fluid's good. Yeah, it could be yeah. the throttle position sensor's not connected properly right. or the map sensor's not working right. It could or, be an input to the transmission. Right. It could even right. be an engine running problem can keep it from shifting properly. So what you need is a diagnosis of what is wrong and then you can evaluate is it cheaper to fix what I've got, or is it cheaper just to throw it all away and start from scratch again, or is it just cheaper just to buy another truck? You know, yes, once sir. you get some reliable information. So what you're going to need to do is find someone who is willing to go behind this guy, and that's a little bit yeah. difficult because most shops just don't right. like going behind other mechanics. It's, yes, sir. it's just inherently problematic. But yes, have them go in, and you can't just say, well, I want everything, because they can't do everything. But if you say this and this and this are the problems I'd like diagnosed, then they can right. tell you why those are doing that. Then you can make an informed decision. And if you get the right guy, he'll be willing to give you some input. And he, he may say, well, yeah, we could do this and this, and this is going to do this, and this is going to do this, but I also see this and this right. or whatever. But you're going to need to probably get some professional advice from somebody that you can trust. And that way you can make a proper decision. Because sometimes the proper decision is, hey, let's just bail. Bail, yeah. yeah. I mean, we spent a lot of money, but you know what? That's gone, and I don't want to keep putting money into it. But yes, then sir. the other side of the coin is I don't want to throw away something that's probably still got right. some life in it. So that's where you're going to have to get some information and you're going to have to get some professional guidance. Yes, sir. Okay. Well, I appreciate y'all's help very much. All right. And y'all have a good day. All right, Thank Amy. You, thanks for calling. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, we got to take one more quick little break. If you just hold on, we're going to have I think we did. all the call. <laughs> hey, if you call right back, we'll get you straight up at the top of the list right after this commercial message. Give me something good to eat. Phew, I had a bad dream last night. Girl, me too. I was out on a date with Matthew McConaughey. Well, that doesn't sound too bad. But literally, all he could say was, all right, all right, all right. Still, it's... In auto-tune. All right, all right, all right. All right, all right, all right. Over and over and over. Oh, it was a nightmare. What about you? I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at AGCO, which cost me thousands in repair. Now that's scary. AGCO Automotive's general inspection is the best way to make sure your car performs at its peak and you're not surprised by any major repairs. Bring your vehicle in once a year and we'll recommend any maintenance. We can even help decide if it's worth fixing or time for you to purchase another. My dream was scary, but yours was, uh, all wrong, all wrong, all wrong. <laughs> Okay, are you finished now? Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. We sure appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. If you got a question or a comment, you just give us a call, 291-6901. And we still have half an hour to get your questions answered. There you go. Got plenty of time left. And we've got Mr. Bruce been patiently holding. Good morning, Bruce. Good morning. How's it going? I'm doing great, Good sir. morning. I just want to make a couple of comments about the, the fellow with the 57 Chevy. Mm -hmm. Didn't he say he was on the East Coast? Yes. Yeah. Uh, okay. The, as far as the uh, that old 235, that thing weighed, that was at least half of the weight of the oh, car. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they weighed more than <laughs> the V8 did. Uh, they sure did. But anyway, 
if he's looking for a transmission for that thing, even though they're old now, mm-hmm. around 69 or 70, they switched the synchronized gear transmission. Mm-hmm. And they're still using them on the dirt tracks today. Yeah, yeah, I didn't so think about that. To, if he wants a good, tough transmission, right. that is one. Yeah, you can put that's pretty much a direct bolt in. and It does fit. It just mm-hmm. mounts on the bell housing. Right. But if he goes to a V8 or a modern six-cylinder, he's got to change the bell housing. Right, that right. That thing weighed a third right, of the old can iron car. bell housing? Oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And it had two bolts underneath. The, he had to pull the transmission to get those two bolts under there. Yeah, yeah those uh, on that 57 Chevrolet, the rear motor mounts were on the bell housing. Right. And the transmission just hung off the back of it. It wasn't even supported. It just hung out there. <laughs> exactly. It was easy to change. Now, yeah. as far as flying on the drive shaft and all that, I don't remember. I believe it's all the same. I don't remember. It's yep. been so long. Yep. But the, uh, uh, anyway, uh, if he's still listening, it might help him. Uh, yeah, that's something to look at. might help him. Yeah, and if, if you thought that old uh, three-speed was heavy, try picking them on old cast iron power glides. <laughs> uh, <laughs> two-speed? Two-speed cast iron yeah. power glide yep. came in it. <laughs> that's not well, the way as much. A, they're running a bunch of them on the dirt track. Today. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. like those. No power glide, of course, they're getting very hard to find. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And one other thing, I've, uh, after the, the big water, mm-hmm. I had to have something pretty quick, so I bought a 07 Ford four-wheel drive with a 5.3, I think it is, motor in it. Probably a 5.0 or 5.4. A 5.4, mm-hmm. yeah. what it is. And it runs good. It's got a whole lot of miles on it, around 150,000. Right. But is there anything I should watch out for? That motor came in two renditions, a two-valve and a three-valve. And in my this opinion, three-valve. yeah, the three-valve yeah. was a pretty sorry motor. They... If it's been taken wonderful, wonderful, wonderful care of, it's probably got a few more miles in it. If it was taken average care of, you're getting pretty close to the end of its life. And all you can do is keep an eye on it. I mean, if it starts rattling when you crank it up or starts misfiring, starts squeaking when it's running, they had a lot, a lot of trouble with the timing chains breaking and stretching. They had a lot of trouble with the camshafts wearing out, and they had a lot of trouble turning rod bearings in them. So you can't name anything good about one. I don't like them. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, I bought the truck pretty cheap. Yeah, and well, it's I bought it cheap enough. Yeah. It's uh, got 100, right at 145,000 right. miles on it. Not Runs bad. good, drives good. Yeah. Well, you ain't got to uh, lose. I mean, just keep driving and see no, what happens. Uh, I figured if, I can, if it goes out, I can just put another motor in it yeah. and still... I wouldn't spend as much money as uh, not as much a new one. You know, well, I'm not buying a new one. Yeah, I'm not giving them what they want for. I know, right? Now that motor is very expensive to replace because there's no used ones out there. I mean, you cannot Mm -hmm. finally use them for love nor money. If you do, it's going to have a gajillion miles or or be worse than the one you're taking out. And Ford sells that. Yeah, Ford sells that motor pretty high. I mean, they're because usually when they go to rebuild them, there's just not much there to work on. So they have to change a lot, a lot of stuff. I know we just put one in for a gentleman, and uh, I want to say that motor costs us close to four grand just for the bare motor, you know, plus yep. putting it in. So it, it gets pretty pricey. Is it possible to put maybe a 4.6 in it? Probably, but I'm not certain the computer and all is going to like that because that has... No, it's, uh, it's designed to run with a three-valve motor, and yeah. that 4.6 is a two-valve, unless right. you can find a 4.6 three valve but they're kind of rare that's very like rare and you have the same kind of problem right. with it when you go to yeah. the I, didn't even, I didn't even know they made a four or six with three valves they yeah, do they make i think they make a four valve too i think they do too a high I, performance I, engine they made a lot of renditions of the engine and the basic modular motor is the same but all the heads and the, the top electronics end, and all yeah. are different on them yeah doesn't it seem to you that they could leave it simple yeah well yeah, <laughs> that'd be too easy <laughs> that's not gonna happen all right thank you Lewis. all right bruce thanks man bye-bye all right
right, we're going to see if we can catch some of these calls real quick. We All got right. uh, JR online. Good morning, JR. Yeah, good morning. I have a Cadillac 2000 engine that goes from side to side instead of from front to back. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. And it only has 79,000 miles. Everything was working, but I had to uh, leave town and put it in storage. Mm-hmm. And when I got back, the battery was dead, and I had to replace the starter. Mm-hmm. And none of the other, the air condition, that type of thing, didn't work. Did it jump cold or something like that? Uh, I could very well have, Jr. What? How long did it sit up? About four four to five months. Okay. And runs like a real smooth and everything, but air condition and uh, yeah, see, a couple of things. The battery and all went dead. It could have set some codes in the HVA system. And on a Cadillac, when you get an active code in there, it may shut the whole unit down. Mm-hmm. So you may have to take it to someone who can clear the codes out of it and then see where you go from there. First check and see what codes are in there. It may be something that's pertinent. I mean, it's possible the refrigerant leaked out while it was sitting, but then again, it's also possible it just got some codes because of the battery dying and all. Yeah. So I would check the codes, check the general, you know, reset all that, see if you can get it operating, get it operating, check the temperature and all on it, see if it looks like it's good. But is, that's just the way it's going to have to. Is that something you take back to the dealer or oh, no, your, uh, your shop? Or what? No, in, any decent shop can do that. Anybody who has a Tech 2 or equivalent scan tool can do that. Okay, how do you spell your dealer, your repair shop? It's AGCO, A-G-C-O. Okay, all right, and it's listed in the yellow pages. Yes, sir. Well, just go to white pages, easy way, because yeah. we don't put an ad in the yellow pages. We got. Okay, so... thank you for uh, taking time. All right, Jr. Thanks, thank man. you. Bye, bye. All right, two nine one sixty nine zero one is the number if you want to be part of the automotive. I would love to have you. And we got Patrick online. Good morning, Patrick. Good morning, man. Yes, Good sir. morning. I was calling reference to I have one of these high pressure monitor switches changed on my tire at. Uh, Repair shop, they put some tires on there and had to replace the switch. And I'm, yes, uh, it's on a 2012 Toyota Tundra. Okay. And now I got the light, you know, blinking and something won't reset. And I was okay. reading in my manual where you got to bring it back to the dealer and they got a program. This well, thing. You, is, you don't is ever have true? to go back to a dealer for anything, Patrick, other than warranty work. I mean, we yeah. at our shop, we've got all the Toyota scan tools, same yeah. exact equipment, tooling, and information they've got. So we could reset it for you. Any good repair shop that's well equipped can do that but yeah it has to be programmed it's got a ip address right. on that sensor it has to be set in the computer you have to tell it this is the address and this is the position and that you, way it can recognize it when you change one of those like lewis was saying the number is on the sensor itself you have to get that number before you mount the tire you got to record it and then you plug your scan tool in and you record the rest of them they list them out in the data stream you record those and then you go to the program and you relearn the whole system now, on that yeah. Tundra, I believe there's five, not just four. There's one on the spare also. If you haven't uh-huh. if you haven't checked the air in the spare, set it to the same cold tire pressure as the four on the vehicle. Because if it's low, it'll turn the light on. Yeah, I've seen people get fooled by that. Yeah. They keep Toyota's checking, the, checking. And Toyota's the only one that has five sensors that I'm aware of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was like I said, it was working properly until my tires changed. And when they broke the tires down, they said, this thing is cracked. We need to get a nut. And I said, well, y'all the ones put the tires on there originally. So they ordered a, had to wait an hour for them to order one mm-hmm. and supposedly put it on there. But say when I left, so I don't know where the code would be for that uh, sensor. You have to break the tire down to get the code. I'm well, you got to get the, the number off you the sensor. Get the, it's it's yeah. inside the tire. Yeah. And, and you get that number, you write it down, and then you have to have a scan tool that's capable of communicating with the computer, and you go in and enter the number. But, yeah, if they just put it in there, that's not going to get not, it. Yeah. See, it, it's still looking for the old sensor, and it can't find it because it's See, not now, there. 
Toyota's the only one that I'm aware of that does it that way. Every other manufacturer, you put the sensor in, you go to the scan tool, you go through the learn process with a tool to ping the sensors, and the computer learns it, and you're done. But Toyota, yeah. you have to go in and record all the numbers, the code numbers, off of the individual sensors themselves. Yeah. Yeah, well, the automobile technicians over there had uh, headphones strapped on their heads listening to music. I'm oh. sure they <laughs> oh. no worry about a code. On a sensor, on a yeah. there you go. Yeah, I would probably just take it back to them. Say, hey guys, look, this light's still on, and you know what are you gonna do about it? <laughs> I mean, if they just can't do anything with it, or they say they can't. Say, well, look, I'm gonna take it somewhere and have it fixed. But you know, who's gonna pay for this? And, right. and, and see where they go from there. Yeah. yeah. All right, man. Appreciate it. All right. All have right. A good day. Thanks. Thank you. Bye bye. All right, two nine one sixty nine zero one is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive fire? We would love to have you. We've got to take our final quick little break. We'll be right back with more. Oh, I had a bad dream the other night. Can't be worse than mine. I was buried up to my neck in the desert, surrounded by an army of prairie dogs, and their leader rides up. Rides? Yep, it's Yule Brenner, and he orders me to eat this huge mound of candy corn. So all the prairie dogs line up and feed it to me piece by piece. I'll never look at that Halloween confectionery the same again. What about you? Well, I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at Agco, and my car left me stranded on I-10. Now that's scary. Agco Automotive is here with the best way to keep up with car maintenance. Get our annual general inspection. You pick the month, we check out your vehicle and recommend any maintenance you may need, which can save you costly repairs down the road. That was a freaky dream. Were you on medication, or did you eat anything strange? Uh, yeah. I actually ate a whole bag of candy corn left over from Halloween. 2014. Oh. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Go ahead and give us calls, 291 6901. And between our calls, we're talking a little bit about parts and parts profit and markup and those sorts of things. Right. It's one of those kind of a black art sort of a <laughs> right a sides of the automotive business. And the point is, I think that you have to make sure when you're shopping all this stuff is the parts you're getting, are you comparing apples to apples? Because an OEM part is generally going to be more expensive, right. but it is more expensive because it is generally built a whole lot better. It's built to a much higher standard then for the most part. Then, then your regular aftermarket parts or even your, your low-line parts. Right. And there are some aftermarket parts which do meet or even exceed OEM they, specs. They are. You just are have to know which ones they are. Few far between, and without a lot of experience knowing what is what, it's yeah. kind of hard to judge that. And that's one reason why trying to source your own parts is sort of a losing thing just because you don't have the experience and all that. I know there is a brand of shock absorber, and I'm not going to mention a name on the air, but used to be extremely popular. It still has a pretty good name, but they're absolute junk now. Right. They're, they're built offshore now. And oh, they've changed it, hands it, two or three times. All it has is a name. Yeah, and they're just absolute junk. But people will see that, and they'll go buy them. And, of course, right. the price came down when they moved production offshore. But so they're you cheaper gotta be, to purchase. You, know, you got to be very, very careful about that. Now, another part of the question was, how about supplying my own parts? Some shops will allow you to do that. Some shops won't. Even the shops that do allow that, what you have to remember, part of the reason that they're making a profit on their parts is because they're backing up the warranty on that part. Correct. For instance, if you have a part that you put on and through no fault of the installer, that part fails. When you supply your own part and you go back, he's going to say, okay, it's going to be the same exact price. You supplied the part. Mm -hmm. 
and it's the labor is going to be the same. This much diagnose problem again. This much change. So part of the what you're doing, you're not just giving extra money. You are getting a warranty, in right. with that. And and of course, offering a warranty does involve money. Not only that, but they do have to order the part. They have to receive the part. They have to return the cores. They have to do a lot of stuff right. that and, eats up time. And, you know, you mentioned core parts. Mm-hmm. A lot of times that core part price is absorbed by the, the repair shop. Mm-hmm. They not don't necessarily move it over to the customer. So when you buy, you purchase that part, they're holding on to that core charge. Right. You know, they don't charge you for that core charge because right. they know that core charge is going back. Right, it has to go back to the manufacturer. And if something happens where you can't return it, that's one reason I've had people ask me, well, I'd like the old part. Well, that's fine, except there's it's a core charge. Cost much. If you want to pay for the core charge, that's fine, because they want that part back because they're going to rebuild it. Right. And that's with starters, alternators, you would a lot be, of different things. Yeah, you would be surprised at the things they charge a core charge on. Right, but they have to account for all that. They have to keep track of all that. So these are some of the reasons why most shops do charge a markup on parts. And, again, to get back to the question, I think a fair markup is something around 25%. Right. That way, it's not going to be exorbitant to you. You're getting a lot for your money. Now, you got to watch. There are some shops that probably charge double that and maybe triple that. Mm -hmm. And that's where you're getting out of the realm of feasibility, in my opinion. And some of them do that so they can advertise a lower service rate. They're not really giving you a lower service rate, but they can advertise a lower service rate. So those are the kind of places you're generally going to want to avoid. Right. Because if they're willing to lie to you up front, what else are they going to lie to you about? Exactly. I'd prefer a guy to be honest with me just – yeah, this is how much it costs, and yeah, and, and we're this done. is why. Let's go back to our phone. Also. Keith, good morning, Keith. Good morning. How y'all doing? Doing great, sir. Good morning. Yeah, I got a 1996 Toyota Camry four-cylinder. Mm-hmm. Okay. It has 291,000 miles on it, mm-hmm. and the transmission's starting to act up on it. It'll drive good for about five or ten miles, and then, like, when you stop at a red light, you go to give it the gas, the RPMs will go up to like 3,000. Okay. It barely moves and it, you know, kind of slows down like it won't go, go above 20 miles an hour. Eventually okay. it will. Yeah, that transmission is slipping. Now, right. the simplest reason for that would be that it's low on fluid. It's got a leak somewhere and the fluid's leaked out and it doesn't have to be but a quarter too low. And that will cause that. Now, this is the thing, Keith. If you catch that immediately, fix the leak, fill it with fluid, you may be just fine. However, if that goes on for just a matter of a few hours, it's going to burn the transmission up because when it's slipping, and particularly if you're sitting there racing the motor up trying to make it go, you will destroy that transmission literally in a couple of hours. So I don't know how long it's been going on. The easiest thing you could do is pull the dipstick out and smell it. If it smells like burnt popcorn, you're done. You're pretty much done. Uh, If it's still kind of pink and red and looks okay, you might try dumping an extra couple of quarts of fluid in it and just see what happens. Even if you think it says full on the dipstick, because I'm going to tell you, probably. We have professional shops yeah, send us cars. Probably transmissions are- one in 10 amateurs and maybe five in 10 professionals know how to check transmission fluid. I mean, I get yeah. them in constantly. No, I checked it. It's full. No, I checked it. It's full. You're checking it's three quarts low. And see, the bad thing is when it starts getting low, it's going to start aerating the fluid, which is going to pump it up on the stick and give you a false reading. So you could dump another quart or two in there. It's not going to hurt anything. At most, it's going to come bubbling out the dipstick tube if it didn't need it, but it's not going to hurt the transmission. And just see if the problem gets much better. Now, again, pull the stick first. If the fluid's black and smells burnt, you're pretty much done. Uh, okay. Well, now, thank you very much. All right, man. All right, sir. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, two nine one sixty nine zero one is the number. I think we got time. Maybe sneak one more call Let's here, give real it a quick. Shot. 
We got Stephen online. Good morning, Stephen. Good morning. Yes, Good sir. morning. Okay. I have a question. It may sound like a rhetorical question, but it's actually very serious. With the depth of knowledge that you and you know your people at AGCO have mm-hmm. and the integrity that you have, why would somebody go to any other shop in Baton Rouge? <laughs> I, and I'm I'm dead. I'm very serious. I mean, you. It's kind of like it's amazing what you guys are doing. Uh, I mean, wow. I mean, are there any other shops like this? I mean, I, I, I it's kind of amazing what you guys do. <laughs> yeah, Stephen, you know, everybody has their own ideas about things, and we are probably not the shop for everybody. There are people who call us, and they'll say, how much is yeah, 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 and I explain, well, I don't know because I haven't seen the car, and they just don't want to hear that. They want to know a price before they bring the car and before anybody knows what's wrong with it, and I sympathize with them because I know where they're going. I know they're going to get the wrong guy and it's going to go down, but that's just the way they're going to do business. You know, they just, they, they've got it in their mind. So I guess the reason why you got all kinds of people who have all kinds of ideas about things. I mean, we do have a very, very solid client base. We've got about 15,000 regular customers. We're working on third generation customers for the most part. We worked on the granddad's car, then worked on the son's car. Now we're working on the grandkids' cars. So oh, yeah. once we get people in and they understand our concepts and how and we do it and the reasons we're doing it, we hold on to folks really, really well. Another reason is we do have a pretty good backlog because we get stacked up pretty good, sometimes as much as two weeks before we can look at another car just because we're so booked up. But these are the reasons why, of course, folks, and, and I mean, we're not the only shop can fix a car. I never want to imply that. We have our ways of doing things, but there are other people who do a good job as well. I don't know there are. I'm sure there are people around the country who have similar philosophies to ours. You just got to kind of check around and, and see, question them. And, again, like I talked to the first customer, uh, excuse me, the first caller this morning, if you go to our website and type in, like, the word quality service or something to that effect, there's an article or two in there that goes into this in depth, how to kind of spot a shop before you've used them uh, to know uh, what kind of things you're looking for. Okay. Well, it's uh, – I mean, I, I've just been amazed anytime I've come the, the the service and the the knowledge that's applied to the problems and such. It, it's just it's amazing what you guys are doing. Just as a business model, just as a, a way, it's a great thing for Baton Rouge. Well, thank you. We, we, appreciate we, we certainly that. appreciate the kind words. All right. Hi, right, Stephen. Thanks, man. Bye bye. All right. Bye bye. All right. That was very nice. Very nice it? to hear. Yeah, it's always nice to get compliments and. You know, to answer his question, there are people who just are not going to like us. They're not going to like the way we do business because right. they have a certain way they want to do business. And, and we don't do it that way. In my opinion, that is wrong. It's going to cause them problems, but you just can't tell them. Right. The people who come to us who are willing to listen, they're going to find a new way to do things. And it's like anything new when you see it originally, you're going it, to be. Right. You're going to be a little leery of it A little leery of it. But, yeah, there are, we find it's just a better, better way because when I was looking for a model to build this company i tried not to look at anything that was being done rather to engineer a solution to what i saw as a problem correct and that's why we are very very different from most repair shops in the way that we do things so really appreciate that was really nice call very well and i see we are just about out of time need to start winding it on up and getting ready to get on out of here i'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week and Go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service, whichever that might be, iPad, iBean, Stitcher. Yeah. I mean, there's there's hundreds of services out there. Go to the written review part and fill it out for us. That's right. And if you can't find a written review there, you can always go to Google just under our company name and put a review there. Just, Perfect. hey, we listen to the radio show and 
blah, 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 whatever you, whatever you comment, might might be. Say, whatever your comment <laughs> might be. We always appreciate that because the more positive reviews we have there, the more folks are going to do business with us. And, of course, that's what we ultimately are looking for. Right, and that moves us up in the rankings so more people can find us. There you go. And if a show has more positive reviews, what happens is that when a person types in, say, a generic term like auto repair, you're going to come up close to the top of the list, which means more people are going to be able to hear you. Right. And more people hear, more people listen, and the higher your ratings are. So That's what we're here for. They don't run us off. <laughs> hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend. Thank you.